Hey friends, it's Weston, and I wanted to take just a second to thank you for listening to the Bowling Green Christian Church Sermon Podcast. If someone recommended this message to you, I hope that it encourages you. If you're here getting caught up on a week you missed, I hope that it challenges you. And if you're a visitor checking us out, I hope that it helps you connect with Jesus and his church. Whoever you are, whenever you're ready to take your next step closer to Jesus or to connect with a BGCC family, know that we're here for you. You can learn more about how to connect with us by downloading our app when you text BGCC app to 77977. There in the app, you can submit prayer requests, find out about upcoming events, and even give to help support our ministry, including this podcast. It's my prayer that God uses this message to encourage and equip you to take your next best step in life, which is always one step closer to Jesus. I love that song, Oh Holy Night. It's a great one, right? It feels good to sing. It, it's all that Christmas is in our minds. And yet I wonder if we have a bit of disconnect from it, uh, a little bit of disconnect from that song Maybe Christmas as a whole, I mean, oh, holy night, you know, it's something we think about, we look at with nostalgia and faith and hope, but I guess my question is, have you ever lived one of those oh, holy nights? I mean, how many nights in your life would you look back on and say, that was a oh, holy night in my own life? Um, it's probably, probably the list is small. You have You know, you've had a movie night, maybe you've had a date night, perhaps you've had a night out with the guys or the gals, you've had a night you'd like to not remember, maybe a night you can't remember, but have you had an oh, holy night? That's the question. I wonder if part of the reason we can't connect with that is because we have a hard time connecting with the people in that oh, holy night. You know, we have Joseph and Mary They give birth to Jesus. This makes up we call the holy family. How many of you would describe your family as the holy family, the oh holy family? Now, your family might be like mine. You put the fun in dysfunction, but would you say that you have a holy family? I think part of our problem is we have sort of wrapped everybody in the manger scene there with a halo and You know, we've made them into figurines that sit around our houses in different places, and we've lost sight of the fact that these are real people. You know, Mary's a real person. Joseph's a real person. Uh, The text that the Beatles read at the beginning was about King David. King David's a man after God's own heart, but he's also a real person. Maybe part of our problem with connecting with them is we fail to see uh, essentially their humanity. Uh, Maybe that's the reason we have a hard time connecting with them. You know, and yet we remember them. We remember Mary and we remember Joseph and we remember David uh, because of some of the amazing things that have happened in their lives for the best moments of their life. You know, we remember Mary at her very best in moments and we remember David, generally speaking, in his very best of moments. But I would put before you that the reason we remember their best moments isn't because they were at their best, but because God was at his best. The reason we remember their best moments is because those were moments where God was at his best in their lives, not because they were at their best. I think that we need to come to grips with the fact that all of our bests is going to fall short of God's best. Our best desire and our best efforts will always fall short of God's best. God's best is always going to beat ours. No matter who you are or who you were or how good you are or how good you were, our best is never going to measure up to God's best. 
This is true of David, we saw in the text. I want to look just at the first three verses here. We see David, I think, actually in this moment at his best. It says, after the king was settled in his palace and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him, he said to Nathan the prophet, here I am living in the house of cedar while the ark of God remains in a tent. And Nathan replies to the king, do whatever you have in mind. Go ahead and do it for the Lord is with you. Now, I think in this moment, we can see David's heart really clearly. We see that in this moment, David is sort of looking around his house and going, man, I got a really great house. You know, God's done a lot for me. You know, David had been pulled from, from tending sheep to, to shepherding the entire nation. God had blessed him. He had brought Israel into the place that it was, which is going to be at, at almost its highest level of prosperity. At this point, it had never experienced a level of prosperity like this. It had never experienced a level of peace like this. And so David looks around and he goes, man, I've got a lot of things going for me, and those things have come from God. And here I am sitting in this, this palace while God's you know, Ark of the Covenant, which represents his very presence, it's out there, you know, in a tent. It's out there, you know, and it's, it's RV, if you will. It's out there just sort of standing out in, in the cold. Why don't we build a temple for God? Why don't we build a tent that is worthy of him? And Nathan the prophet, he likes this idea. He goes, man, that sounds great, right? Who, who wouldn't want an amazing house? Go, David, go. I'm sure God would be really happy with this. Now, here's the thing is neither one of them had checked with the Lord. If you've been joining us with our podcast, our daily reading, you know that uh, this week we saw another moment where David uh, didn't quite live up to that moment because he didn't consult the Lord at that point in time either. Uh, things get into trouble, even if we have the best desire sometimes, if we don't do things the way that God has asked us to do them. And here's one of those moments where, where it seems like David's got the very best of intentions and very best of desires, which he does, but it's not what God wants. We see that a little bit later here in the text. Um, David's got this misplaced plan or procedure, or however you want to phrase it, but I, I want to look here at what God does in this moment, because God is going to tell David essentially no. He's going to say, David, no, you're not the one to build the temple for me. Uh, there's different reasons that go along with that. One of them is that David is a man of war. He's a, he's a man of violence, of bloodshed. And God says, I, I want somebody of peace to build my house. It's, it's something that I have a desire for. And so David is going to make preparations for the temple, but he's not the man to build it. Um, but notice in this text here that God doesn't condemn David. You know, this is one of those areas we might call sort of a, a gray area. You know, what do you do in this instance? You know, again, in the podcast this week, we looked at something where God had specifically said, don't do that. And they did that, even though they had good intentions, they disobeyed God. Here in this moment, God's not said anything about building a tent or a, a temple or a tabernacle, anything about that, you know. And so David is just moving in what is just, we might call faith. He's doing the best he can with what he's got. But, but notice, God doesn't condemn David. He doesn't, he doesn't judge David. He doesn't get angry with David. In fact, he blesses David. Look, look at all that God says he's going to do. I've got a few selections here from 2 Samuel, starting in verse 8. Here's what God says to David. He says, I took you from the pasture, from tending the flock, and appointed you ruler. 
He's saying, David, listen, you were nobody when I found you. David, remember when I sent the prophet Samuel to anoint the next king of Israel, and I said, the next king of Israel is going to come from the house of Jesse, and remember how your dad brought all your brothers in, and how he brought them all in here so that way they could line up and and be selected in front of Samuel to be the king. Remember how your dad brought all of your brothers in except you? Remember how you were so unimportant your own father didn't bring you into the meeting? Do you remember that, David? That's where you were. You were outside. You were watching some sheep. You were so unimportant that your dad didn't even bring you into the meeting. But here I am, David. I've called you and I've appointed you and I've lifted you up to be the king over all of my people. David, that's what I've done for you. He goes on. He says, I've been with you wherever you are. David, I know you've been in dark places, God says. He says, I know you've been alone in the pasture with the sheep. I know that after you got anointed to be king, that you had to run for your life from King Saul. I know that you were in the cave and you were in the wilderness fortress alone. But David, I was with you and I've been with you that entire time. David, I've been with you all of this time. David, I've brought you out. I've I've been with you. I've not left you alone. I've cut off all your enemies before you. And now he says, David, here's what I'm going to do for you. You wanted to build a house for me, but David, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make your name great like the names of the greatest men on earth. He says, David, your name is going to be remembered. And guess what? Here we are thousands of years later, and who are we talking about? We're talking about King David. Why? Is it because of what David did or what God did? I would say it's because of what God has done. He says, and I will provide a place for my people Israel. He says, your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. He says, David, listen, you want to build a house for me, but really I'm going to build a house for you. David, this is going to be your house. I'm going to build it. I'm going to make your name great. Here's the good news is that even though our best doesn't measure up to God's, God still is going to invite us to partner with him. God's going to invite us to partner with him in his best, just like he did with David. David comes and he puts forth a little bit of effort and God says, listen, I want to bring you in on this. I want to make you a partner with me in my plan to bring salvation to the world. You see, God's plan to bring salvation to the world is actually a group project. How many of you loved group projects in school? Do I have any? I've had, I've got one, I've got two. All right. How many of you hated group projects in school? That's, that's been the overwhelming majority. Most people that hate group projects hate them because uh, you end up doing most of the work, right? And you're like, what did everybody else do? Or it's a, a bunch of, of hassle to get people together. People that love group projects, maybe like, I'm not looking at anybody over here, maybe like it because they do a little bit less. I don't know. I'm just throwing that out there. Um, now, I'll tell you, I hated group projects Going through high school, man, they were rotten. I hated them. And they're like, we're going to do a group project. Like, ah, can I do it myself and do twice the work? Because that would just be better and easier. Um, you know, and then you get into college. Like, why are we doing group projects in college? Like, we are beyond this. Like, we've moved past this. Like, we're not going to get a grade together. Like, let's, let's move on from the group project. Oh, it's good for your learning. All right, whatever. And so you do the group project in college. And then I got to graduate school and in seminary. And I'm thinking, man, we're done with group projects. And I'm in a teaching class. And they're like, hey, we're going to do a group project. I'm like, ah, oh, I hate this. If I ever... If I ever teach group projects, terrible, horrible. But here's what happened in in graduate school. Everybody there was like a clear, like super overachiever, 10 times whatever I thought I might be. And I wouldn't classify myself as an overachiever. Um, And so like we got into this group and they're dividing up the work. And there was two gals that were kind of like 
had taken on leadership of our group, and they're like, well, we'll do all the exegetical work in the Greek, and we're going to do this, and we're going to do that, and we'll work on the, the presentation, the slides, and, and here, you, you know, you people are going to do this, and, and like, we got done, and I had no assignment, like, I had nothing to do, and I started thinking to myself, it's clear y'all are overachievers, so, I mean, my hands are, I mean, I feel good about this, but I feel guilty, and so I asked, I was like, do you, do you need me to do anything? It was a teaching class, and they said, well, you... You could, you could tell the story. You just tell the Bible story when we get into there. And I'm thinking, I'm going to get graduate credit for telling a Bible story. Sounds like a great deal. I, I can tell the story. That's what I'm going to do. Let me tell you, God has invited us in on a group project. And God's done all the hard work. And the good news is we all get God's grade, right? We get the grade that Jesus Christ has gotten, and that's a, a perfect score in life. And God has said, I want you to come. I've, I've kind of done all the work for you. I've, I've paid the price for your sin. I have, uh, I've revealed myself to the world. I, I've orchestrated everything so that salvation is optimal. I have one thing I need you to do. It's just to tell my story. I just need you to tell my story. This is what Jesus says. I want you to be my witnesses. I want you to tell the story of me. I want you to tell everybody about me. We talk about the testimony, that we're going to give a testimony to people that don't know Jesus Christ. What's that mean? It means I'm going to tell the story of how God's life has intersected with my life. And I'm going to tell the story of how Jesus has shown up in my life. Friends, that's what we're called to do. God says, I want to partner with you. And we're going to do this together. Now, if you are out there and you're skeptical, this idea that God would partner with us, let me tell you, it's taken me some time, but the longer I read Scripture, the more and more I see that God is seriously inviting us into a partnership with Him. We get to say we have a voice, we have the opportunity to work, we have the opportunity to not work, we have all those things are there. It's a partnership. If you don't believe me, just, just go through Scripture. You'll see just in about every single instance that God is inviting people into partnership. He creates the world. Then what does he do? It says that he, he brings this guy Adam in, and he says, Adam, listen, I've created the world. I, I want you to sort of name the animals, and I want you to manage things, and I want you to tend it, and I want you to take care of it. God, God says, Adam, could we do this together? Uh, the same thing with Abraham, right? You know, God wants to build a nation that's going to be a nation of priests, and he says, Abraham, would you do this with me? Would you do this with me, Abraham? You know, David, the same, same thing. David, I, I want to lead my people. I want to provide for them a place of security. David, would you do this with me? God says, man, I want to, to partner with you, Esther, as, as we save my people. God's going to come to Mary, and he's saying, Mary, listen, I know it's never been done like this before, but I want you to partner with me, and I want you to be partnered with me to bring forth my son into the world and bring salvation here. Would you partner with me? Friends, that's what God does. God comes and invites us to partner with him. And here's the really good news, is that even though our best doesn't measure up to his, when we partner with God, God takes our best and he makes it his best. God takes our best and he makes it his best. That's what God does. God does this throughout scripture. We see this constantly, that God comes and he he, it takes our best, the best that we have to offer, even though it's nothing compared to his, and he transforms it into something amazing. That's what he did with David, right? 
David comes and says, God, I'm going to build a house for you. And God says, David, I don't want you to do anything for me. I want you to do something with me, and I want to build your house. And here's what we're going to do, David. Your house is going to last for eternity. Your house is going to be this everlasting house, and your name is going to be remembered. Because actually what I'm going to do, David, is I'm going to merge your house with my house. And my son is going to be your son. And together in this partnership, we're seriously going to save the world, David. Does that sound like a plan? And God builds this partnership with David, and it all comes to its culmination in Mary, who's descended through David's family. And God makes his promise good as he partners him and his house with, with David's house. It's an amazing thing to think about, that God takes our best and he makes it his best. Now, in the, the narrative, you read about Mary, and this angel comes, and she's afraid. And she says, you know, what are you doing here? What, what are you visiting me for? I, I'm kind of a nobody. Here's what the text tells us, Luke chapter 1. The angel says to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you're to call him Jesus. He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Man, Mary sounds like a special person, but when Mary describes herself in the text that we heard read earlier, she describes herself as, as lowly, as a servant of God, as humble. And God says, Mary, you might think of yourself as lowly and humble, but Mary, I want you to know that I think that you're favored and you're full of grace. Mary, I've got a plan for you. You might think of yourself as lowly, but I want to use you to bring forth my son who will be the son most high, the most high king. Mary, you say, how can any of this happen? I'm, I'm a virgin. I'm, I'm this young girl. But Mary, I know that you've been saving yourself for this future man, but you've really been saving yourself for me and for my plan, that you would bring forth the son of man, my son that will save the world from their sins. God takes Mary's best and he makes it his best. Now, the thing that I love so much about Mary is that Mary really becomes an example of what it means to be a Christ follower today. That, that Mary becomes for us a, a, a prototype, if you will, or a foreshadowing of what God is doing with all of us. You see, Jesus has told us that when we put our faith in him and we accept him as our Lord and Savior, that what he does is he and the Father comes and they live inside of us. They live in our hearts and that he's constantly with us. Church, that's the amazing gift that God is giving to us. He said, listen, if you will give me your best, I will turn it into my best. And I will come and I will make my heart, our hearts, my home. That's what God says. God tells us that he's going to come and do this. And so here's the good news, that you might not think you've had a holy night, but when you've got Jesus Christ with you, you can transform at night, day, you know, an hour here or there, and it can become a holy hour, a holy moment, a holy night, that God can come into your life. And you might not feel like a very holy person, but if you surrender your life to Jesus Christ, you are transformed into the holiness of God. If you partner with God, God can come into your family and turn your family into a holy family. God will take your best and make it his best. That's the good news, friends. That's, what, that's the beautiful thing that's happening here. Now, here's what I want you to hear. 
I, I, it's, it's, we start to come to wrap this thing up here. I, just, I want you to hear one really important thing, that God isn't asking for the best from you. He's asking for your best. And, and I want to say that because I think this is really important because often we get stuck in this place where we don't do anything because we can't do it the way we want to or the way we think it should be done. If I've got any perfectionist friends here, I know that this is something you struggle with. You don't need to raise your hand. You don't need to point fingers. Please stop. Um, if we've got perfectionists here, you know what I'm talking about. You're like, man, I'd like to do this for God, but I just can't do it at, at the way I want to, so I'm not going to be able to. You know, I, I want to give, but I can't give at the level that I want to give, so I'm just not going to give at all. I, I want to serve, but the way I'd like to serve is the way that they serve. I mean, they're so gifted. My gift is like this. Their gift is like this. You know, I can't. How can I do that? I can't do that. So I'm just not going to do anything. Here's the thing. God's not asking for the best from you. He's just asking for your best. And God says, if you will give me your best, I'll transform it into my best. And if you give at the level that you can give, however that is, I'm going to transform that and make that the best. And if you serve and you say, man, my gift, it seems small, but I'm going to serve in the way that I can, man, God's going to take that and he will do something amazing with it. Friends, God is just asking for your best. And he says, I'll do the rest. I'll take your best and I'll make it my best. And so I, here's the challenge I would say for us is to stop living up to the expectations of others and just say, man, God has equipped me. God's given me these gifts. I'm gonna do something with them. I'm gonna give God my best. And as we think about Christmas, we think, well, what are we gonna give? What are we gonna do? What are we gonna give to God? I would just say, give him your best. Give him your best in whatever way you can and see what God does. As the worship team comes out, I want to just sort of remind everybody that, listen, you, you don't get to do any of that until you've given your life over to Jesus Christ. You, you don't get to do any of that until you've actually just surrendered your life to Jesus and said, Jesus, listen, I know it's not much, but it's me. It's what I've got. It's my life. Would you take it? And the beautiful thing is that he does and that he fills us with the power of his Holy Spirit, and he takes our lives and transforms them into his very best. As a matter of fact, he calls us his children, his sons and daughters. It doesn't get any better than that, church. And so this morning, if you're thinking to yourself, man, that's something I'd really like to do. I'd be interested in talking about that. Just catch me after service. I'd love to talk to you about that. But this morning, as we sing this song, I want to give you permission to, to stay seated if you want. And you can pray and say, God, would you give me the courage to just try, to just give my best, even though it's not what I think it ought to be? Would you give me the courage to just do that? Or maybe you're saying, I don't even know what I'm going to give. I don't know what my gift is. Say, God, would you show me what it is that I could give? And I'll tell you, here's what I think. I believe that prayer works. I believe that God hears us, and I believe that he answers and I believe that if you ask him, say, God, what, what would you want me to give? I believe that he'll make that clear to you. So however you need to use this time, let's do that as we surrender our lives, our gifts, our days to him. If you'd like to be standing, go ahead and do so now as we get ready to sing.